Hello, this is Everwonder from the California Science Center. I'm Perry Roth Johnson. There are a lot of references to speed and going fast in our culture, especially in video games, cartoons, and movies. Sonic the Hedgehog can run at supersonic speeds. Speed Racer is busy revving up the powerful Mach 5. And in this summer's hit movie Top Gun Maverick, Tom Cruise flies the Dark Star hypersonic plane to Mach 10. Ever wonder just how fast Mach 10 is? To find out, we talked to Aaron Casimir, the Senior Director of Engineering at Stratolaunch. His team is building a real-life hypersonic aircraft called Talon A, designed to fly through the sky at Mach 6, or six times the speed of sound. That's more than 3,000 miles per hour. It's a really cool piece of technology with some really challenging problems that pop up when you try flying that fast. Okay, let's get into it. Aaron Casabir, you are the Senior Director of Engineering at Stratolaunch. Aaron, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks for having me. It's uh, it's great to be here. So Aaron, I know your company Stratolaunch is working really hard to make hypersonic flight a more routine thing again, and we'll dive into how all that works in a moment. But first, I just want to spend some time unpacking this word, you know, hypersonic, because it's sort of a jargon word that aerospace engineers and aviation geeks might throw around. I think a lot of people may have heard of hypersonic flight recently in the media, like in the movie Top Gun Maverick, where Tom Cruise flies this dark star hypersonic plane to Mach 10, or maybe more realistically uh, in the news with reports this year of the Russian government firing hypersonic missiles in the war in Ukraine, or even last year with reports of the Chinese government testing hypersonic weapons that got U.S. military officials at the Pentagon very concerned. So I'm hoping you can help explain it to our listeners. Like, what is hypersonic flight? Can you just give us some basic examples? So hypersonics, like you said, has become kind of a, a catchphrase lately in the, in the media. But in a very simplified view of it, hypersonics is flight that is at least five times the speed of sound. So mm-hmm. Mach 5 flight is considered hypersonic flight, which is five times the speed of sound. And anything above that is also considered that. So Mach 10 would be 10, flying at 10 times the speed of sound. And the speed of sound, at least at sea level, it's like 700-odd miles an hour, right? That's correct. It's about 700 miles per hour. So Mach 5 flight is, is in excess of 3,000 miles per hour. I just want to do like one more cu- cultural touch point. The Concorde, even though it's not flying anymore, it's another like fast plane that people are familiar with, probably because people could actually fly on it commercially. But it didn't go hypersonic. It, it, it wasn't going uh, quite as fast. It was just supersonic, just faster than one time the speed of sound. How is flying hypersonic different from flying supersonic in something like a Concorde? When you get to that kind of that boundary, we, we loosely call it five times the speed of sound or Mach 5. There are some things that change for the designers, for the engineers, and for the airplane. And so one thing is that there are literally physical changes in the air that change as the vehicle is flying through it at those speeds. There's things like... Uh, molecular disassociation and ionization. You're like ripping the air molecules apart. It literally, the, the physical uh, phenomena or the physical way that the air molecules interact with the aircraft or the shape of the, the airplane as it moves mm-hmm. through that air, it actually changes. And it changes wow. how you have to design the aircraft to fly. And then there's another big piece too, which is when you fly that fast, you start to have issues with heating. Mm. And so... A vehicle, when it is flying that quickly, 
um, you, st you start to actually have to engineer and solve problems that didn't exist on a vehicle like Concord or like, you know, a commercial airliner that you fly in, you know, um, any day of the week. And so the vehicle has to uh, be able to withstand temperatures that are very, very high. So to give you an example, um, just roughly speaking, a vehicle that's flying Mach 7 can the hottest part of that vehicle can experience temperatures approximately 3000 Fahrenheit. Wow. Just to give you a rough, just to give you a rough idea. Right. And so you now as an engineer, you actually have to be thinking about, well, wait a second. What, what materials don't melt at 3000? Right. <laughs> right. How, how do you protect, how do you protect your airplane from literally melting, falling apart and making sure that the electronics inside, they still function. Mm. What happens is as you go faster and faster, the design challenge for the engineers gets harder and harder. Yeah. And and is hypersonic flight a new thing or is it just like in the media a lot lately? No, hyper, hypersonic flight's been around for a long time. And, you, you know, the, the United States has been a leader in hypersonic flight from the very beginning. It goes back to the 50s and 60s when there were some very interesting, very exciting X-planes um, that were designed in in the United States and flown out here, uh, actually mostly in the Western United States, to break through uh, that perceived barrier of hypersonic flight. That was the really uh, interesting time for hypersonic flight was the push towards vehicles like X-15. If you go and look up that vehicle, mm -hmm. uh, that vehicle is actually in the Smithsonian and in Washington, D.C. And and that, that vehicle flew almost 200 times. Wow. Uh, and so it's been around for a long time. It's had its ebbs and flows of... Um, being popular, I guess I'll say it that way. Uh -huh. And uh, lately, of course, like you said, it's back in popularity. It's back in demand. Why is it in vogue again now? Why Why are so many governments and companies working on hypersonics now? There are some near-peer threats that we have. You talked about Russia and China, and those are two excellent examples. They've invested heavily in these technologies and these capabilities. And They've been able to rapidly develop some vehicles and fly those vehicles uh, in ways that heavily chips away at our ability to be, you know, the leaders in that in that area. That's a challenge for us because in, as Americans, we like to think of ourselves as a leading innovator in the world on the global stage. Right. And so that is the number one driving reason why you see a lot more media attention. You see the government, you see our lawmakers making some changes and increase funding in hypersonics. And that's because of that threat and that concern. So basically, like we want to have that technology homegrown so we can keep up with our peers around the world. Absolutely. You can see this in many other sectors of aerospace and, and technology. You know, we like to be the leaders and be pushing the boundaries and doing having the firsts. And then why did Stratolaunch uh, specifically start working on a hypersonic vehicle? Our investors saw a clear need for this investment to help participate and to help close that gap such that America could not only, you know, match what our competitors are doing, but then of course leap ahead and try to be the lead, the lead global innovators and leaders in this area from a technology standpoint. Honestly, just from a technology standpoint, it's really cool. Yeah. <laughs> it's really cool to be able to fly things that quickly. And as we know, you know, whenever you take a leap in technology, really interesting things are found and learned 
that we didn't even know existed before we did it. So let's talk about, you know, the specific vehicles you guys have in your, your hangar right now. So there's the carrier aircraft, which is nicknamed Rock, uh, which is also the world's largest wingspan plane, right? Um, and also a small hypersonic aircraft uh, called Talon A. Um, before we get into like how each of those look at a high level, can you just describe what a typical mission for these vehicles will look like? The Rock aircraft, our carrier aircraft, um, its job is to take another vehicle, in this case, Talon A. You know, Talon A is mounted to the underside of the center wing of, of the carrier aircraft. And so the carrier aircraft's job is to basically bring that, that hypersonic vehicle, Talon A, up to um, a higher altitude so that we can air launch it. Mm. So literally what you're talking about is connecting two airplanes to each other, taking off, Flying and climbing up to a higher altitude, in this case, let's call it, uh, you know, approximately 30,000 feet, and you air launch the vehicle, which means you, you, you literally, as you're flying along airborne, you drop the Talon A vehicle at altitude, and as the Talon A vehicle is falling away, it literally starts to activate all its subsystems and it's, it starts to fly on its own. It, it, it ignites its engine. It actually has a liquid rocket engine. Mm-hmm. Um, very similar to uh, the X-15, if you go look up that vehicle. It's a, there's a lot of similarities, actually. Um, Talon A is unmanned, though. So whereas X-15 mm-hmm. was a rocket engine-powered hypersonic vehicle, Talon A is actually fully autonomous. So there's no human on board. There's no remote control. Talon A uh, is doing everything on its own and computer and flight software are literally managing, managing the vehicle as it's flying through these conditions. So you drop, mm-hmm. you drop the Talon A vehicle at altitude from rock. Rock continues to fly along and comes back for a landing. And the Talon A vehicle lights its engine, climbs to an altitude that's still within the atmosphere. So you're still, we're not going to space. We're not, you know, we're not leaving the atmosphere. We're, we're, we're flying through low density atmosphere, which is, you know, we're talking up to 160, 70,000 feet. Mm-hmm. And so there's enough air molecules that you can still consider yourself, you know, you're not in space, you, there's air density, but, uh, but there's enough of them that you can actually really heavily heat the vehicle. And so the vehicle passes through the hypersonic test condition. You know, in this case, we're talking Mach 5, Mach 6 approximately. And... Uh, once we deplete all of the propellants, basically the fuel and the oxidizer that feed the engine and make the engine create, you know, produce thrust. Right. Once we deplete those, uh, we'll turn off the engine and we'll we'll glide back unpowered with no thrust back to a, a runway, a conventional runway. And so we'll land this vehicle. That's another key thing about Talon is it's actually reusable. We'll be mm. able to land this vehicle and we'll be able to bring back all the experiments that we've carried on board and we'll be able to basically ref- lightly refurbish the vehicle and then launch it again within a couple weeks. It's almost like a mini space shuttle that doesn't go to space and doesn't launch from a launch pad. <laughs> it, it is. They serve different purposes. You know, a space vehicle is designed to punch through the atmosphere. You know, you, you have a typically have a rocket on board, right? You, mm-hmm. you punch through the atmosphere and you launch yourself into space and you have specific reasons why you do that. Talon A is meant to specifically not punch through the atmosphere. We want to stay up in that part of the atmosphere where where we can test things in a hypersonic environment and we can basically um, accelerate technology through Talon A, basically 
carry payloads. It's talent A is effectively a test bed. It's a, and so what we do is we carry experiments. We carry new technologies. We carry things that haven't flown before. Mm. We take things that maybe they've been developed by scientists in the lab and engineers in the lab. And now we actually get to fly them and we get to prove that they work. Okay. That is the entire purpose of talent A. Talent A itself is not the experiment. Talent A is not meant to fly faster than, you know, to be the, the fastest flying vehicle that's ever flown. That's, you know, there's other vehicles that are designed to do that. This vehicle is designed to fly hypersonically and do it often and to do it such that we can give our customers an opportunity to fly things reliably often and to be able to, to push their experiments to new boundaries that they haven't seen before in the lab. It's almost like, um, a really fast cargo plane uh, and people, I guess, pay you money to like put cargo on it. People joke. Uh, <laughs> this has been used before. I actually think it's a great analogy, but it's, 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 it's a, tr think of it as a, a pickup. It's a Ford F-150. Nice. It just happens to fly hypersonic. Okay. <laughs> so it's, it's actually a utility vehicle. Okay. Um, it is a high performance vehicle, but it's also a utility vehicle. And it's offering that utility of being able to test things and be that test bed. And so it, it offers people a way and customers a way to test things where they can't otherwise test it on the ground, like in a wind tunnel or another facility, mm -hmm. right? When you fly something and you're, you're, when you go to, you know, Mach 5, 6, 8, 10, 15 for the first time, that's really risky. It's really it's dangerous. It's risky. It, you might crash the vehicle. And so you want to find every opportunity you can to reduce risk and to learn as quickly and affordably as possible. Talent A is a means to quickly and affordably do that. Okay. So let's transition a little bit into, uh, you know, the mothership, the carrier aircraft rock. Um, cause that's how Talon launches. Talon's not taken off from the runway in Mojave by itself, right? Um, what does the rock carrier aircraft look like? That's a great question. <laughs> <laughs> it's unique. It's, it's very unique. So it has the largest wingspan um, of any aircraft ever flown. Uh, it's 385 feet, and it, has, it actually is the highest thrust aircraft that we know of that, that has ever flown as well. Um, wow. It has six, six engines off of, off of 747. And so, so it's got a lot of thrust. It's got a huge, long wing. And it's got two big fuselages, which are separated such that the center line of the vehicle is wide open underneath. And the reason for that is it's, it's configured so that you can actually mount something very large, much larger than Talon, uh, underneath that carrier aircraft wing so that you can air launch things from the size of Talon all the way up to something that's potentially 500,000 pounds and, and you know, much larger. And so the carrier aircraft is, is very unique because it can do a lot of things and it can, it can launch things of the size that basically no other aircraft on the planet can do. You know, some people listening in might say, well, I don't understand. Why, why do you, do you need to another, add another airplane? That sounds really complex. Yeah. You know, the reason you do it is because it actually helps you for on performance. It, it significantly improves our efficiency and our performance to be able to make talent a more successful mm. and so if you were to try to take off from a runway with talent a it's it's physically possible it can happen but it makes the design much more difficult it takes a lot of energy to get from here to thirty thousand feet in in the air 
And so not mm-hmm. having to do that and allowing talent to launch at a higher altitude um, is a huge performance benefit to us. So right. it basically allows us to fly for longer at hypersonic conditions, what it does. I, I want to go back to that stat you said about the, the wingspan. You said 385 feet. That That's bigger than an American football field, right? Like, it is. I think those are yeah. 300 feet long. Yeah, if you were to place a rock on a football field, you know, lengthwise, you know, the wing parallel to the football field, you know, it would basically be goalpost to goalpost. It's, it's, um, when, when you walk in the hangar and, you know, you experience this as well, you walk into the hangar, you can't, you can't see the whole airplane. You look up and your field of view, you, you can't even really see it because you're, mm-hmm. you're basically too close to it. You actually have to walk a hundred <laughs> yards away to even, be able to get the whole airplane in view it's just it's huge it's hard to explain honestly and right i'll be honest i've normalized it because i've been around it for like a really long time yeah um, <laughs> you don't yeah, think it's I've, weird anymore probably <laughs> yeah i've been around rock since the very beginning of that pr- program more or less you know so um yeah so i've kind of normalized it but most people it's fu- it's actually really fun because when you bring new people into the hangar there's kind of that moment where they their eyes just go wide open and and they just, they're shocked. They're, they're, they, they always say the same thing. They say, man, I knew it was big, but I didn't think it was going to be that big. Right. <laughs> I definitely had that moment too. And, and I noticed um, when our host, Kate, you know, was uh, uh, trying to take a picture of us standing in front of it, you know, she had to keep backing away and away. And it was like the same experience we have at the California Science Center with Spatial Endeavor, where it's like hard to fit in your camera's viewfinder without like getting so far away that the people you're trying to take a picture of are just like, you know, a few pixels wide. (laughs) Yeah. It's a, it's, it's a, it's a feat of engineering. It's amazing. The nickname rock, where did that come from? Oh yeah, that's a good one. That's a good, that's a good, uh, uh, probably little known, uh, fact, I guess. So the, um, rock R O C not, not R O C K it's R O C spelled R O C it yeah. was a uh, it was a mythical bird which carried uh, an elephant in its talons, if I remember correctly. But okay. it's effectively a, a large bird that that you know that could carry things in its claws, and so that's what Rock's job is to do. Rock's job is to carry large things and to deliver them to an altitude they can they can launch them. So as as we're coming to the end here, Aaron, uh, it sounds like Stratolaunch is a really exciting, cool place to work. Uh, where can people either follow you online or follow Stratolaunch online, you know, to follow your guys' work? Uh, Stratolaunch.com, of course, is our website. That's that's pretty easy to find us. Instagram, Facebook, uh, Twitter. We we have accounts across all those platforms. YouTube as well. You know, when we we oftentimes when we're flying the rock aircraft, we actually have live streams of the flight. So we actually are you can watch in real time cool. often uh, when we're flying. And that's very cool. Um, we also have a lot of really interesting videos up of when we make some significant progress. We share those like recently we had a video where we mounted Talon uh, to the to rock for the first time. We literally mounted it under the wing and there's nice. some really great videos out there for that. And then also um, LinkedIn, you're going to be able to find many of the engineers that work here. Um, you're going to be able to find everything from job postings and um, and recruiting events and things of that of, of that nature. So you can follow us through any of those normal kind of channels, professional or social media channels. Well, it's been great talking to you, Aaron. Uh, thanks for demystifying hypersonics for our listeners a little bit, uh, and appreciate you joining us on the show. 
Absolutely. And uh, I only barely brushed the surface of the topic. And I promise you, <laughs> if you get in, if you get in deep, uh, it's a lot more fun. It's really interesting. It's a really challenging place to be. And it's, uh, it's pretty darn cool. That's our show. And thanks for listening. Until next time, keep wondering. Ever Wonder from the California Science Center is produced by me, Perry Roth Johnson, along with Jennifer Aguirre. Liz Roth Johnson is our editor. Theme music provided by Michael Nicholas and Pond5. We'll drop new episodes every other Wednesday. If you're a fan of the show, be sure to subscribe and leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps other people discover our show. Have a question you've been wondering about? Send an email or voice recording to everwonder at californiasciencecenter.org to tell us what you'd like to hear in future episodes.